morning, good morning. My name is Andrea Simintov, and you're listening to Pull Up a Chair on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. How grateful we are, how grateful we are for this wonderful station and for, for the deliberate men and women of the State of Israel, of Kalal Yisrael, of B'nai Yisrael, for moving forward, for being part of this glorious, glorious journey. Today's a fast day. Today is a fast day, the 17th of Tammuz, on the only calendar, the correct calendar, the Jewish calendar, that really is the advent of the three most poignant, meaningful, and not just reflective, but impactful weeks on the Jewish calendar. And hopefully this week and in the next few weeks uh, coming up, we're going to cover this. We're going to talk about it. Again, maybe not in incredible, incredible depth, but enough to kind of open our eyes, share some thoughts together, and um, all of us together sharing in this journey. Yesterday, yesterday on the Gregorian calendar of July 5th, uh, July 5th, what year is this? It's 2023, according to the Gregorian calendar, marked 28 years since I stepped foot in the land of Israel to begin a life here with, with my family. And uh, 28 years, a lot of reflection, 28 years of blessing, 28 years of meaning, 28 years of, to the best of our abilities, all of us, one foot in front of the other, authentic Jewish living, and of course, 28 years of miracles. And, um, well, you know how I feel on the subject, not a question. Israel is the only country we have, the only Jewish country in the world. Come home. And if you don't know how to do it, if you think it's too hard, if you think somehow you are exempt, drop me a note, Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. <laughs> Not only will I set you straight, I'll help you out, help guide you, and um, let you share in some of the miracle that I have had the great merit of enjoying in this very short and precious lifetime. With us today... Our listeners from the United States, hi America, happy American birthday. This was the July 4th uh, week. Boketov Eretz Yisrael, a lot to talk about here once again. Once again, surprise, surprise, we are under siege, are we not? South Africa is with us this morning, Canada, hi Canada, and Germany. And anyone else joining in, we'll give you a shout out. It's very, very nice to see you with us. Uh, updated, I will be in South Africa again. Please, God, um, at the end of the month, I think sometime from the 16th of the month through Tisha B'Av, the 9th of Av, which we will not going to talk in great detail today, but we will get to. And um, so... If you'd like to meet up, if you have a group that you would like me to address, to talk to, um, share some thoughts, drop me a note, and we'll see if we can make that happen. Okay, this week, can't stop, can't stop. We want to have fun. We want to talk. We want to talk about the summer and meaning of what we could do. And once again, not just the quality of our lives, our very lives are hijacked, ripped, destroyed by gasp, surprise. Those who destroy everything in their paths. That's right. We said it. Remember, if you are woke, if you be woke, if woke is your mother's milk, quickly get off the computer. Find somewhere else to go. This week, as the headlines say, the headlines say in such parv, such humanly friendly term, 
Seven injured in ramming, stabbing attack in Tel Aviv. The only wonderful part about that headline is that the terrorist was killed by a blessed, armed, holy civilian. I think he came in on a medical. He, I, don't quote me because they, they reneged, they took it back. I think he came in on a, in a, human, a humanitarian pass for medical treatment. This bastard, this bastard of his mother's womb rammed his truck into pedestrians. And when it wasn't enough, he got out and he ripped out his knife and he began stabbing. Laying on the ground, run over. It wasn't enough. He began stabbing, hacking into the neck into the bodies. One of the injured, you know, we read these things, the black and white, it pops off the page, and then we go on. Because were we to really take it in? Were we really to absorb the weight of these stories? We couldn't function. We couldn't parent. We couldn't wife. We couldn't husband. We couldn't function. The black and white says one of the injured was a pregnant woman. Oh, how sad. She lost her child due to severe wounds she suffered in the attack. She is destroyed. A family destroyed. Anyone who survived this attack, their lives will never again be the same. And we so, again, anemically say one life isn't worth more than another. We are created equal. I guarantee you that those under siege were worth a billion times more than this bastard spawn. Raised in rage, raised in perverted, perverted principles. But let's not assign blame to his mommy and his daddy and his community. There is a poison, a poison at our borders, a poison. If you are listening in, if you live in America, if you live in South Africa, if you live in Canada, Germany, Israel, those listening in, you have a poison, a poison that stands against everything moral, everything kind, everything against the Noahide blessings that were bestowed on this world. And as long as we wring our hands and give moral equivalence to their argument, then we are guilty. The attack came just as our blessed Sahel, our army, was carrying out a major operation, a defensive operation in Janin, doing what any correct government should be doing. And what happened in the last three minutes or two minutes of this segment I share with you? I knew before I read it in the newspaper, I knew because my granddaughter had to go to a, 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 a funeral last night, a levaya in Beidel. Sergeant First Class David Yehuda Yitzchak, may his memory be for a blessing. He was shot as the troops began pulling out of Janine because we reached an agreement. Once again, one of ours was forfeited because the cancer of Janine still remains. But we always have to think about the public opinion. 
the pulling out of Janine is just another damn Jewish response. A family ripped apart, never again. I promise you. I say unequivocally, Sergeant First Class David Yehuda Yitzchak from the Holy Community of Beitel is better. He was worth more. Because his life, his holy life between learning, studying, dreaming to be, thinking of being a tax a taxpayer, a giver to the community, whether Jew or non-Jew, was in direct opposition of those who see him as just a filthy piece of Jewish vermin. For shame. For shame. We keep up our faith. We keep our prayer. And we must stay strong in our belief that at the end of time, the playing field will be level and God's bracha will continue to rain down upon Israel. My name is Andrea Simintov. I'll see you on the other side. Simintov, pull up a chair, IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Um, <laughs> just, I'm sorry. It's a, a te- I'm thinking to myself, well, aren't you a little testy this morning, Andrea? A little testy, okay? Enemies at our border, slaying, um, a little testy this morning as we fast. I can't, you know what? I see that I'm doing more and more, more and more Torah with each show, even though um, there are those that are so far above me in terms of loftiness, in terms of knowledge, in terms of real erudition. And yet, when the reality, when the reality of the, of the mortar, the mortar and stone and flesh of our lives creates an impact on my own, what we call Dalit Amos, my own little four walls, I find great comfort in learning where we're holding in the world today, in learning the Torah portion, in understanding the calendar and the holidays, and reinforcing, or rather, I should say, gloaming onto deepening faith, because that, the unknown, the unknown, but that which is based on emunah, faith, is to me sometimes far more, far more comforting, far more real, the unknown that is caged in Torah and caged in God's blessing is much more comforting than the black and white reality that leaps off this pages. But hey, I don't think that necessarily we should call the show Pull Up a Chair. Perhaps we just should call it... Um, a week in the day, a day in the week. All right. So very often, you know, look, we've talked about it, clients, friends, we all are glued to the internet. We're all addicts. We're addicts. Thank you, God, for that 25-hour respite that comes at the end of each week where we shut it off and try to the best of our ability to connect that little piece of you, that nefesh, that soul, that we all share. And the minute Shabbos is over, how many of us, I shamefaced, I include myself. We run to see our phones, the computer. What did we miss? What critical messages are coming in from the bank? I generally know what the messages coming in from the bank are, so 
Um, I don't really have to check it. But we're so addicted to man-made creation. And I can't help thinking. Notice I don't even say their names. The name of the vermin that would raise a knife, rev a truck motor, throw a stone. I will not give them credence. Their name is vermin. And yet, and yet, they infect our lives. As I said, I'm going to South Africa again. South Africa has its own, has its own issues, its own problems. We know all about it. And yet, I walk into a mall with my pocketbook. The assumption is that I'm not going to throw stones, stab people. Not in Israel, not in beautiful first world Israel. Our reality is, our reality is, our reality is. Protection, warning, looking over the shoulder. Avoiding the red signs at the entrances to Arab slash Palestinian villages in our country that we are not allowed to enter. Lest fear of bodily harm or worse, and our army is not allowed to come in and help us. We've lost all sense of normal. Let me tell you something about when you go to a bris for a baby boy born to the people of Israel. With rare exception, that baby is being celebrated into the klal, into the community. And there are expectations on that infant. Expectations. Expectations that he will learn and that he will give. That he will grow and he will be kind. Expectations that although he will not necessarily complete the work or the results of his labor, he is to be intricately involved in community life, whether it be Jewish community life or in Olam HaGoyim, the world of the people. Our lives have meaning. Our lives are lives of contribution. I see I didn't even download an article that I read yesterday. I, I wanted to vomit reading the article because of the medical terminology and yet the holiness it was imbued. Israeli doctors, their pr professional, their artistry, their brilliance, they reattached, God help me if I get this wrong, they reattached an internal decapitation, a very rare condition that an Arab boy suffered in a biking accident. The statistics of young people, of anybody, surviving this kind of an accident, obviously whatever was attached, his brain was still functioning. But for all intents and purposes, he was going to die. And effort upon effort was, sa was spent on saving the life of this child. And do you want to know why? Because that's what Jews do. We're not doing anybody any favors when we dumb it down. When Mahmoud Abbas says, with chutzpah, we are withdrawing our cooperation, I burst out laughing. And I say, what cooperation? Who gives a darn about his cooperation? With cooperation like that, who needs blah, 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 fill in the blank? And my husband says to me, don't be naive, Andrea. We need their cooperation. Their cooperation keeps things better. 
We dumb it down. Because if any reputable agency mirrored the cooperation we get from the Palestinian Authority, we would, we would boot them out of whatever agencies they were part of because it would stink. But it's the best they do. They're in the good job camp. You remember that. Will we tell children who fail, good job. Or we tell the losing team, don't worry, everybody's a winner. We, how do I say this, infantilize them and they meet the challenge of their emotional infancy. And lest, lest, she's turning the page of her prepared notes. Hold on, because we're going to get off of this in a second. Lest any of you trip over yourselves, shocking about moral equivalency, you better check your compass. Because Arab terrorists target civilians. That's the modus operandi. That's the raison d'etre. It's not complicated. And our holy IDF, our defenders of Israel, both here and around the world, they target terrorists. Okay? If you need the reminder, drop me a note, Andrea at Israel News Talk Radio. I'll send you the reminder. Okay? Targeting civilians, targeting terrorists. No moral equivalency. So just Grow up. Stop wringing your hands. Not a problem. Okay. Once again, in Jews, doing it to Jews, why we need the three weeks, the three weeks before Tisha B'Av, why we need reflection, why our temple was destroyed. Brandeis University, and I know we got the apology. Brandeis University. Built by Jews for Jews. The latest ad campaign that they had to crawl back from. Their ad said, quote, anything but orthodox. That was their call to pride, call to greater enrollment. Two-page spread appeared in the New York Times Magazine just last week, rightfully drew the rage of orthodox Jews and others, fair-minded people on social media, calling it offensive. Imagine. But I guess they thought they could get away with that. And days after it appeared, Brandeis, the, the leaders of the Brandeis Orthodox Organization said in a statement that they were hurt, disappointed to see something like this. And Brandeis said, no, 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 no. We're sorry. It's a place that anyone is accepted. Well, thank you. Torah observant Jews. If you're Shomer Shabbos, Shomer Kashrut, Shomer Nagia. If you are Zionist in your attitude, you can apply to Brandeis. My name is Andrea Simonjov. See you on the other side. Okay, we're back. Andrea Simintov, pull up a chair. IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com, last segment of our live show. And remember, some of us are listening live, and then uh, this is available on podcast. Share it with your friends. Okay, not my enemies, but our <laughs> friends. And I'm very excited to announce that now on this live show today, not only do we have our friends that I mentioned before, who was listening in? It really is like hands across the hands across the waters, uh, the U.S., Israel, South Africa, Canada, and Germany, um, and apparently Korea has joined us this morning. Namibia and the Republic of Jordan. Welcome. Good morning. This is our Erev Shabbat show. Our planning for the Holy Sabbath. Okay, <laughs> today's show is a little. There's a great word. It's a Hebrew word. It's charif. But charif is spicy. We actually call the spices. We serve something called shug, 
with our uh, with our meat dishes, and it's really it's ground peppers. There's all kinds of variations, and we say somebody has a personality. It's very harif. So today is the fast, uh, the seventeenth of Tammuz, which initiates the three week period before. Um, the commemoration, not the celebration, but the commemoration of Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av, which um, commemorates the the destructions, destructions of our holy temples. Anyway, it's a fast day. So this show is a caffeine-free show. So if you can feel the anxiety, <laughs> just stay with me. Cut me a little three-week slack. Here goes. So this week's Parsha, we, we have the Parsha of Pinchas this week. But the period, we want to talk a little bit about the, the um, three weeks. And then, of course, as we get closer to Tisha B'Av, it's a critical, critical time that we will share some insights. But let's just say, what is this? What are the three weeks? So the period known as the three weeks, also um, in Hebrew, translation of like, um, we say, ben ha-mitzarim, between the straits or the days of distress. Tsar, whenever you hear the word tsar, b'mitzarim, tsar always denotes constriction. Because what is, what is sadness? It is a constriction of our happiness, of our freedom. When we are not allowed the freedom to experience blessed joy, we are in a condition of tsar. Um, not ironically, deliberately, the Hebrew name for Egypt, where we were held in bondage, in enslavement, is mitzrayim. The word tsar is part of the uh, word name for Egypt, where we were in um, captivity. So anyway... It's a saddest period on the Jewish calendar. And there are a lot of customs of mourning that are observed during this time that will acknowledge the instructions of the first and the temple, uh, the first and second temples. So beginning with today, um, with this fast and concluding on the ninth of Av. Now, this is the day that we commemorate what we commonly remember as the breach of the walls of Jerusalem, Jerusalem, before the destruction of the second temple. All right. So now, although in according to the Mishnah, there were four other historical calamities, absolute horror stories that occurred on this day. Number one, Moshe, Moses. This is the day he smashed the tablets upon descending from Har Sinai and seeing that the children of Israel were what? Worshipping the golden calf. This is the day, historically, where the, the tamid offering, the daily offering, stopped being brought to the temple. This is during the first temple period. This is the day when an idol was erected inside the temple, again, during the First Temple period. And prior to the Bar Kochba revolt, the Roman military commander burned a Sefer Torah. There are various laws, various customs of the three weeks. And I must confess, before I was Torah observant for the first 20 plus years of my life, I suppose, I, I, three weeks... Tishabov was a joke. We didn't know what it meant. We used to say, yeah, from here until Tishabov. Um, I'll go shopping when it's Tishabov. Tishabov was a was a tagline in a Catskill comedy skit. I didn't know about it. And yet it shapes so much of the Jewish identity. So there are several prohibitions during this period. And again, I am not a halachic, a guide, a, 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 um, an expert on Jewish law. If you need help finding somebody, your local Orthodox advisory who can tell you 
um, drop me a note and I'll tell you where to find the laws. But some of the common ones that I think basically cross the board, and again, there's a difference between um, Sephardim and Ashkenazim, North African Jews and um, Spanish, Latino Jews and uh, Eastern European Jews, but there are some prohibitions on the time regarding haircuts, shaving, listening to live music, weddings. There were no weddings during this period and other celebration the buying or wearing of new clothes. There's an intensity during this time. Um, and actually, when we get to the nine days, the nine days preceding Tisha B'Av, it gets even deeper and more textured where uh, we won't be eating any meat, we won't be doing any laundry. But now Sfardim, uh, my children are Sfardim, and I have many Sfardim clients, they only observe the extra stringencies um, right before the Tisha B'Av. And the three weeks are also considered a time of misfortune. We have to be careful. Careful to avoid all dangerous situations. We have to be careful to avoid dangerous situations all the time. But there are those who absolutely avoid swimming, undergoing major surgery, or even engaging in court uh, court proceedings that can be postponed until after Tisha B'Av. Came across a beautiful, beautiful um, summary of each Chodesh, each month on the Jewish calendar, you know, from Rosh Hashanah on, from Tishrei to Elul, all through. And I pulled out, just to share with you, this little blank. It says Tammuz. We are in Tammuz right now. And Tammuz is the month of broken tablets. And according to this, it says, ignore Torah at your own peril. That's the message of Tammuz. On the 17th of Tammuz, Moshe descended the mountain with the tablets in his hand, and he saw the Jews worshiping at the golden calf. He knew he had no alternative but to smash them. After all, a people who lacked the wisdom to observe their teachings didn't deserve the tablets of stones containing the Ten Commandments. So why are we fasting? We fast today to commemorate that moment when Jews proved themselves unworthy. So the question remains, are we still foolish enough to repeat the sins of our ancestors? Which brings us to Av. And I'm ashamed to tell you, I never thought, why is the month of Av named Av? Because what does Av mean? Be'ivrit in Hebrew. God is our father. Father is how we say Av. And tragedy after tragedy repeats itself on the ninth day of Av throughout history. From the date of the destruction of both temples to the day on which World War I began. It was a day bringing with it the rage, God's rage at our sinfulness. And perhaps our only consolation is the very name of the month, Av, which also means father. Transgression has consequences, at least in an ideal world, correct? Yet the great consolation of this very month, which so clearly demonstrates we are responsible for our sins, is that no matter what, Hashem remains our Father. And we'll always be His children. That knowledge serves to comfort us as we seek to maintain this relationship. In speaking of the three weeks, Rabbi Sachs brings down, Rabbi Sachs of blessed memory, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, came across an article of his from actually um, the three weeks in the year of 2004. And Rabbi Sachs maintains, you know, he, this article says, remember the past, but do not be held captive by it. That is such a poignant, so textured, Koteret, 
um, headline that I think we can end the show on that. We're not going to, of course. But it says, remember the past, but do not be held captive by it. And Rabbi Sachs reminds us that Judaism is a religion of memory. The verb zachor, remember, appears almost 200 times in the Bible. I feel like I'm losing sound here. Forgive me. Okay. Almost 200 times. Remember that you were strangers in Egypt. Remember the days of old. Remember the seventh day. Memory for Jews is an obligation. Those who will say, what do you mean you're doing the Seder again? We know. You got out of Egypt. Finished. Shame-faced. We hear people say, okay, the Holocaust happened. We're not deniers. Get over it. Move on. We call this the three weeks leading up to the saddest day on the Jewish calendar. Because Jews do not, cannot forget the tragedies that have befallen us. And if we were a people that just remembered the tragedies and lived morose existences, we'd miss the point. Oh, no. Jews are funny. Jews are vibrant. Jews build. Jews create. Jews endeavor. Despite these tragedies. I need to share, because some listening don't know. They know that there's these Jewish customs. And at a wedding, we step on a glass. After the ketubah is read, a glass is placed on the floor, and the chatan, the group, the groom smashes the glass with his foot, and everybody generally screams, Mazel Tov! as if the smashing of the glass is the dropping of the ball in Times Square on New Year's Eve. At a true Jewish, observant, community, Torah-focused wedding, when the glass is smashed, there's a moment of silence, and we break into a somber, Dirge, which says, Im Yerushalayim, If I forget Jerusalem. The breaking of the glass is an act of memory. Remembering that even among our deepest joy, our most profound glee, we can never be whole until we have our temple. Two and a half thousand years, it's a long time to remember. <laughs> Rabbi Sachs brings down, he says, you know, he's often so asked, what is the connection with the Holocaust? Is it really right to remember? Is, shouldn't there be a limit on grief? I mean, are, aren't most of the ethnic conflicts in the world fueled by memories of perceived injustices that just took place so damn long ago? Wouldn't the world be so much more peaceful? If once in a while we just forgot? Although the two are very often confused, memory is different from history. History is a story, a recorded story, a story about events. Memory? My story. Your story. Where do we come from? What did we do? Who are our people? What do we believe? Why did we survive? Why are we here? One of the greatest gifts I know we can give our children, I sit around, they go, Mommy, tell me. My grandchildren know stories that I did not tell them. I yesterday went to Ikea with a grandchild and he said, Grandma, tell me the story about. It was lovely. I never told him that story. But because it makes an impact, an impact on the children. Rabbi Sachs 
concludes this particular 2004 article with something that I believe that we all can relate to. He says, and I quote, I, for one, cherish the richness of knowing my life is a chapter in a book begun by my ancestors long ago, to which I will add my contribution before handing it on to my children. Life has meaning when it is part of a story. And the larger the story, the more our imaginative horizons grow. Besides, things remembered do not die. That's as close as we get to immortality on earth. Close quote. So I share with you that sometimes biblical stories... So that's about our, that's our little introduction to the three weeks. It's why we're fasting. It's why we're fasting as a klal, as a people together. Um, so going on to our Torah portion here in Israel, which is Pinchas. I know it is different in the rest of the world. So sometimes these are very complex stories. Sometimes these stories are very intricately woven and other times, the stories are really not that complex. Um, very simple stuff. Right, want, wrong, black, white, good, bad, you know, cold, hot. And it seems that there's an open and shut case is the killing of Zimri at the hands of Pinchas. Now, I know I've heard the other side. And believe me, we read the Torah every year. We read the Parsha every single year. You know why? Because we learn more each year. One year, something I can't relate to. One year, something I just can't even understand. And the next year, based on events that have unfolded in my own life, gains, losses, sadness, joy, the Torah portion that I read the year before is vibrant, new, and different. So we know that pacifists do indeed decry the taking of a life, any kind of life. And, um, but we have to understand that at that time in the camp, there were crazy debaucheries taking place, thinking complete behaviors antithetical to the teaching, this new blueprint that had come down from Sinai. Zimri was a leader, just so we know who the players are. He was a leader in the tribe of Shimon or Simon. And he publicly takes a woman whose name is Cosby. I watched too many times uh, the Cecil B. DeMille movie, uh, The Ten Commandments. So I have to get out of my head. You know, the crazy, <laughs> the dancing, the dancing harem girl. Okay. And she was a willing participant from the daughters of Midian transgression it was a vulgar display of unabashed perversion indeed copulating in the middle of the camp Pinchas steps in to end the disgrace to halt the epidemic the epidemic of filth because left left unaddressed it will spread how does he do it? By means of the sword. His sword goes through the two sinners. And what is his reward? Pincus is good. Zimri is bad. Pincus is right. Zimri is wrong. Jewish tradition sees these two as the archetypes of good and evil. As a matter of fact, the Talmud's expression for the epitome of hypocrisy is one who acts like Zimri and expects the rewards of Pinchas. So our current Torah portion begins with this description of Pinchas's richly deserved reward, a covenant of peace. And how clear is this reward? How clear is it that this should be God's response to Pinchas's act of zealotry? Why is he getting the peace prize? It's for taking another life. You know, the facts are, and we know. Anybody who has a, a, a modicum of awareness knows that it could have had extremely dire consequences 
for the entire nation. Violence, traditionally, runs a risk of begetting more violence. How might have the club, the congregation, reacted? Couldn't they have rebelled? Couldn't they have uprisen, risen up? Did everybody agree that Pincus gets a gold medal? Was his act less than blanketly accepted? So Rashi does indeed record some critical voices, and he cites a tradition that there were those who accused Pincus of un-Jewish behavior, crediting his actions to alien influences and pagan sensibilities as well. So Rashi doesn't agree or subscribe to those sentiments, but he cites them. I think, or according to my reading, um, to better explain this reward that Pincus had bestowed upon him. His personal history, it left him open to criticism. And the possibility that this would cause a rift, a pilug, a chasm among the people is what prompted Hashem to reward him specifically with this covenant of peace. You know, I once did a show, I can't remember, I'm just moving some pages around here, let's just see. Here we go, hold on a minute. Okay, so I did a show, I think it was part, it had to have been Parsha's uh, Pinkas, and I think I titled it, um, Pinkas, Hero or Perpetrator? And there's a problem with the Pincus, and it comes from the Torah itself, where it's written that Pincus was, quote, zealous for his God, meaning that his zealousness was entirely enveloped with pure intention. So Rehuda, uh, Rabbi Yehuda Lieb Hasnan says that without these pure intentions to serve God, an act of zealousness can be a crime itself. The Chafetz Chaim, who is frequently quoted on this show in his book, Shmirat HaLashon, uh, Guard, Guard Your Tongue, maintains that, quote, a zealot who has killed someone must scrupulously avoid all trace of sin as long as he lives. Otherwise, he's not a true zealot. And his act will be considered as if he has illegally shed blood. Close quote. And Rashi in Gomorrah Sanhedrin adds a further qualification to the illegality of shedding blood. He says that zealots are defined as, quote, respectable people who avenge God's anger. They are allowed to kill the sinner while in the act. Okay, so this can be problematic. We know that. It's interpreted um, to mean that the zealot has to free himself from personal interests and avenge only for the wrath of Hashem. This is the reason why Pinchas and not Moses killed the sinners. I, I must admit, I had wondered about this. But Hasidic literature holds that Zimri and his men came to Moses saying, who permitted you to wed Yitro's daughter, Jethro's daughter, a Midianite? Okay, remember, Moshe married um, Tzipporah. So carrying this accusation with him, Moshe was frightened that if he killed Zimri, his intentions wouldn't have been pure, but they could have been tinged with self-interest over Zimri's outburst. The Kotzke Rebbe makes the point that although Pinchas in the end, he acted correctly. Such actions, they were fatal to any chances for Pinchas to become the next leader of the Jewish people. Who became? It became ultimately Yehoshua, Joshua. But until the killings, Moses thought that maybe Pinchas would succeed him as leader. He was, he was, he, he dropped out of the running because his zealotry invalidated himself from leadership. Why? Quite simply, or in a complicated manner, a leader must possess the qualities of moderation. So, 
The Torah wishes us to be aware of the difficulty. Here it is. Pincus is awarded. He's awarded the crown of peace. Shalom will be with you and your descendants. Crazy. After this abject act of violence. So the Torah wants us to be aware of the difficulty in achieving and maintaining peace. Peace is not all we are saying is give peace a chance. Slogans. Songs, Michael Jackson getting together with other rock stars, or even good wishes and sincere intents. Sacrifices involved. Sensitivity to others, patience, vision. Consequences, the awareness of our behaviors, our speeches, the decisions we make. Pincus's act of zealotry doesn't really seem, at least to me, to be the act of somebody who's going to get that peace prize over in Oslo. But the, the Torah teaches us, God teaches us, the word shalom, peace, in this Torah portion is actually broken. The vav in the word. Shin lamid vav mem. Shalom, right? Yeah. Teaches us. That God warns Pincus that this act of zealotry is not to be a permanent, a permanent policy of Jewish conduct. One has to realize how the peace in a family and a community, peace in a family and a community is always fragile, always has to be earned, cannot be expected. The same sense of risk and sacrifice that he invested in this act of zealotry has to be channeled now into the pursuit of peace, the rodef shalom, and maintaining it. We're always threatened by the little things in life, the nits that are taken so seriously that rip us apart, leave us without peace, without the shalva, the serenity of our souls and our inner sanctity. Pincus? He's going to go on and he's going to become the Kohen Gadol, the high priest of Israel. And he's going to be able to do this successfully, but only if he realizes the difficulty and the fragility in achieving and maintaining peace. I wish you all a Shabbat, Shalom, Umivorach from Jerusalem.